0: My name is Josh. Just Josh. No last name. Or at least no last name, I can tell you. I am a podcaster. I guess that makes me one of the most hunted, endangered species on earth. I'm just kidding. There's way too many of us. This is Josh Gunderson, and you're listening to the Millennial Agenda Animorphs Edition. Welcome everyone to the Millennial Agenda Animorphs Edition, a weekly discussion of K.A. Applegate sci-fi action series Animorphs. I am your host, Josh Gunderson, and I am joined by my Animorphs Edition co-host, Kevin Morey. This week we are discussing book five, The Predator. So Axe, an andalite rescued by the Animorphs in the last book, has been on Earth for a grand total of five minutes and he's already sick of it and wants to get the fuck out of there sooner rather than later. This could just be some of my projecting right now. But he comes up with a plan to fake a Yerk distress signal in order to steal a ship and fly home. Jake and Marco take Axe to the mall radio shack to get the parts that he needs, but is he is overwhelmed by eating food for the first time and creates a scene gaining the attention of the mall's cops. The three escape the cops by morphing into lobsters and trying to wait it out in a grocery store tank and naturally are almost cooked for dinner. Axe builds the beacon but needs a Z-space transponder to complete it and wrongfully assume that's assumes that that's something that we have on Earth. The group decides to break back into Mr. Chapman's house. It's a bit of a callback to book two to steal a transponder and discover that ants are assholes. Once they are able to send a distress call, they learn that Axe has used an old frequency and their trap for the Yerks turns into a trap for the Animorphs. They are captured by Visser 3, who transports them to the Yerk mothership, where Visser 1 is currently visiting, visiting to check on the progress of the invasion of Earth. When all seems lost, the Animorphs are sprung from lockup by Viscer 1, who wants to make Viscer 3 look bad, as if he needs any help with that. And they manage to escape back to Earth to fight another day, and that is Book 5, which is brought to you by Cinnabon. I'm definitely going to be craving Cinnabon by the end of this one. I, I, I wonder if if K.A. Applegate had like like endorsement deal with Cinnabon, and that's why it just becomes Axe. This is obsession over the course of the series and that gets me wondering like everyone's been like oh you're doing the podcast it's getting listeners you should get sponsors to help pay for it and i'm like can i just get cinnabon to send me free food could that i don't know how i don't know how sponsorships for podcasts works but cinnabon if you're listening i don't think kevin and i would be mad if you wanted to send us cinnamon rolls to
1: eat I definitely wouldn't be. But also there really isn't anything more quintessential nineties mall than the smell of Cinnabon. So I appreciate that it is such a huge part of this overall story. Not even just this book. This is a thing literally for the entire series from this point on. And I'm obsessed with it.
0: Yeah, that's I remember I remember that much. And I because I when I think Cinnabon, I actually think of the DC airport. Every time I've flown in and out of the one of the airports in DC, I think it's DCA. There's a Cinnabon that's always right by the gate, and I end up getting one, realizing that I do not have the stomach capacity for it, and don't end up finishing it and kind of hating myself just a little bit afterwards. But I that smell though, I could if I could find that as a candle, which I'm sure it exists, but I'm poor. I we're gonna start off with the big twist in this book, which I actually I for some reason I remember this this big twist happening but I for some reason thought it happened later in the series and that is that Marco's mom who has been presumed dead for the last 2 years is not only alive but she
1: is Visser 1 dun 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 yeah this was a pretty big twist and I'm I'm in the same boat I feel like I remember this happening later and I think it's because in one of the later Megamorph books they do like an alternate timeline kind of situation and Marco actually finds it out sooner. But I think because of how late in the series that megamorphs falls into the timeline, my brain was like, yeah, that happens like towards the end. But yeah, right here, book five, right off the bat. I mean, at the end of the book, but right off the bat for the series, high stakes for Marco at that point.
0: I i remember as I was reading it, I was just like, wait, wait, this is, ha- this is happening now. Okay. I guess we're, we're doing this. It just felt like something that should have happened later, but here we here we go. And, and um, it yeah it really screws Marco's Marco's plan up because his intention and he, he says this to Jake about midway through the book after they've gone through some shit. Uh, he says that he wants to quit the Animorphs, that he doesn't he doesn't feel that it's OK for him to be doing this and putting his life at risk, because at this point now in book five, Marco has almost been ripped in half twice like two books in a row boy is not having a good time of it like if you thought tobias had it rough in book three marco's going through it right now and he decides that you know his dad also not doing very well right now would not survive if something were to happen to marco so he decides that he wants to quit the animorse and of course plans change real quick and he realizes that he now has something to fight for as they all slowly have over the course of the past five books each of them has been given something to fight for and now we have Marco's reason for fighting something interesting happens that kind of bothered me and I think it, it it lends itself to a bigger discussion of gender roles in these books because in in the moment of him realizing that his mother is being controlled by Visser one, he has a private conversation with Jake because Jake is the only other person in on the ship that would realize that that's marco's mother and he he asks him to kind of keep it on the dl he he's like hey i really i don't want the others to know this which i thought was just interesting it's kind of a big secret to keep from the rest of the group especially if it's something that's going to emotionally compromise you
1: down the line Yes, but I also understand why he wants to keep it a secret because in his mind they're on a they're basically on a long-term suicide mission to save the Earth at any means possible, and they have already shown a few times that they don't have any problem killing human controllers if it means taking down the Yurk that's in its head too. So Marco is probably saying that to make sure that. They don't all become emotionally compromised. It's it's kind of a tough situation to be in. He does he doesn't want them knowing it's his mom, so that they don't end up not taking her out if it needs to happen. That's at least the way that I see it. Um, that's the subtext that I'm getting from it. Okay, yeah, I I it's I, I've got a weird back and forth on it, but it it's also mm-hmm. over the
0: course of this book we see some some hypocrisy from Marco. In the cold open of the book, this kind of is becoming the norm. I don't know if it stays the norm, but we typically get a a sort of cold open throwaway situation. And Marco steps up and morphs into a gorilla to rescue an old man from getting mugged. And the old man like turns around and ends up trying to shoot him after he saves him. But we've had several books now in a row where Marco has flipped his lid on Rachel, Tobias, more Rachel for carelessly morphing in situations where they shouldn't. And then he turns around and does it. And it's a funny little moment that Jake is like, maybe that wasn't the best idea. And then just completely just like, that's the end of it. So either (laughs) Jake is a bit of a misogynist or he's so exhausted with trying to stop them from doing stupid things with their powers that he he's given up. This book is a very interesting look at at gender roles. And I don't know if that's me reading far too much into it, which would make my college professors proud because I couldn't be bothered to read anything into the great Gatsby, but the Animorphs, I'm going to, I'm going to dive right in because Jake shows a a huge respect for Marco after he asks him privately, you know, say, don't say anything to others about my mom. He, He cares very deeply about Marco's emotional health and is like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to say anything. Don't worry about it. Your secret's safe with me. Where was that respect when Rachel was getting almost abducted, am am I wrong in that? Am I reading too much into it?
1: No, but also I think that there's just a very different relationship dynamic that Jake and Rachel have versus Jake and Marco because Jake and Rachel are cousins, so it's a little bit easier to go hard on your own family in a way, you know, it's like a sibling thing almost. Um, whereas with his friend, it's a very different dynamic. So I think it. It's more of a difference there. Um, of course, Jake is, as we've mentioned, a shitty 13-year-old male. So he probably is also going to have some kind of misogyny in his way of thinking without even realizing it to me i think it's, it's more about the difference in their relationships okay i could i could see that because
0: i even the other day was thinking on something completely unrelated of the weird ideas that are ingrained in my head from childhood that i'm still trying to get rid of especially when it comes to gender norms sexuality norms and all that so i can excuse it mildly but th- let's also discuss this really odd moment with jake where he drank Rachel's blood and is totally okay with it. Did you did you catch that?
1: Yeah. I, and I think it's it's telling that they're starting to get more used to the realities of the creatures that they're turning into. Like, you know, in the first book we see Jake really being horrified when he eats that spider and Tobias has an entire book to wrestle with whether or not he's going to start eating like live rodents that he finds. But now we're just kind of at a point where he's like, yeah, I think I'm drinking your blood, but you know, it, it feels good. So it's fine and everyone else is like yeah that makes sense cool yeah i think we've
0: we, and we've moved on from the the food horror to other horrors but we will we will get to that or we can just go to it now because this this book is home to i think easily the most terrifying scene in the entire series at least thus far i'm sure it gets worse but the the battle of the ants
1: oh god yeah
0: it fucked me up as a kid and i can tell you it fucked me up as an adult
1: real bad yeah i think the worst part of it for me is the the hive mind aspect of it, where Marco describes himself as... He literally forgets that he exists. He forgets that Marco exists, and he just isn't even there, and the ant just completely takes over. That is terrifying to me. Like, imagine losing your mind completely as an ant and not even realizing that time is going by and then just being stuck as an ant forever. And by forever, that's, you know, whatever the lifespan of an ant is. That's horrifying.
0: It, it is. And then they add in... You add in the, the battle because they did not acquire ants from a local colony. And so they end up enemy ants in enemy territory and ants are fucking vicious. And it's, it's, it's written everywhere that if ants were any bigger, they could take over the world about two and a half seconds. They outnumber us like a bazillion to one and they don't give a shit. And I think this is the first time for all of them because Marco was pretty fucked up in this, the last book that we talked about last week, the message, because he got, almost bitten in half by sharks, but he's the only one that's really experienced that so far. And now we have all of them getting that because they, they get in no problem, but getting back out the, the other ant colony is, is hip to them and he gets almost bitten in half and they are, they're able to escape it. But the ant that was trying to bite him in half, he finds it attached to his back while he's in the shower later.
1: Not even the whole ant, just part, just the head is still attached to him. And
0: it fucks them all up. It fucks them all up royally. And we actually get a almost a humanized moment out of Rachel because she flips her shit in the cafeteria after this incident. Like the the PTSD is kicking in and she loses her shit on this girl in the cafeteria for really no reason. And it's actually Marco that calms her down. So we see a, a bit of a change in both of their characters where Marco is. Kind of a serious, nurturing one for a hot minute. He talks to her they had this really sweet moment. And she actually says that she appreciates that, you know, having Marco in the group because they need his humor to sort of keep them grounded and to keep them smiling and laughing and keep things a little bit lighthearted. So it was a cute moment built out of something absolutely terrifying. So even, even Axe was like, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but... I'm straight up not having a good time. Of course, at the same time, that is from my understanding. Because we're getting we're getting a lot more from Axe right now. We're we're learning about him a little bit. He has never been in a a battle. He's very cocky for somebody who hasn't done like his first battle was escaping the dome ship with them and outrunning Visor Three, and that's really about it. And he he's got this just very like cocky attitude about all of it. <laughs> And is like, oh, Warrior doesn't feel fear. And Marco's the one that calls him out. He's like, have you ever been in a battle? And he gets all, she's like, no. But like, I read about it. I played I played some Fortnite, so I totally get it. Is that what happens in Fortnite? I don't, I'm actually a very old <laughs> human. That, and that's just the first video game that popped into my head. Call of Duty, is that more, that's fighting,
1: isn't it? I mean, you're asking the wrong person. I've never been much of a gamer, but uh, I appreciate that Axe is not like, Like when we met Alfangor, he clearly had this air of like, even though the word prince for the Andalites doesn't mean royalty, he seems like royalty. He seems like he's this all-knowing creature that can only be good, you know, and Axe, you could tell, is kind of trying to be his brother in a sense, uh, acting the same way, acting like he's the one who has all the answers and the war strategy and everything. But really, he's just some shitty teenager like the rest of them. He's just some gamer kid. He's awkward. He's weird. And I love that. <laughs> I what's funny is I really liked Axe when I was a
0: kid. Like I really enjoyed the character, but as an adult, he in just this book alone gets on my goddamn nerves so fast. And I get it because he's experiencing the world for the first time as a human. He's got new a new sense that he's never had before. He's learning to eat and enjoy. Food and like I totally get it. I enjoy me some good food as well. If the intro to this episode wasn't telling enough, but it's very frustrating. And I, I think we kind of touched on this when you and I discussed the series a bit earlier in an episode that will never air because things change. Is it? I, uh, I don't want you to answer this, but I do. Is it ever addressed why Axe, who is this little gamer teenager? why he's on a, a a warship and why he apparently was the only civilian on a warship because.
1: As, yes. Okay. We will, we will find out exactly why he was there and what he was doing. And it is its own story. So I won't get into it, but we do get answers. Okay. Because I, I'm sitting there like, cause he's the only one in the, in the dome part of the ship
0: when it gets ejected from the main battleship when they go into fight the Yerks, but it just, it doesn't, It's why is why is he the Andalite Wesley Crusher, I guess, is
1: my question. (laughs) I can't remember at what point we will get answers, but they happen. They'll come. I mean, thinking about it now, I feel like it's it's definitely
0: somewhere in the first 24 books, because I feel like I remember there being a very distinct answer. But I that could just be misremembering everything about life because i thought the reveal of marco's mom came later than it did so but things are slowly coming back to me and i'm like ah yes so it's a lot of this is just me playing dumb but this is a real question that i have right now is is why was why was axe there and then another question that popped up for me in this book and i i guess i have to step it back a little bit because they take axe to radio shack in the mall which is just a very old sentence Cause I'm pretty sure Radio Shack doesn't even
1: exist anymore. There was also a mention of Circuit City at one point, which was <laughs> an even deeper far back.
0: I oh, because none of none of that exists. Any- like I think the only thing that's really holding on right now is Best Buy, and that I'm shocked has lasted as long as it it has. Because I I haven't. I mean, I stepped foot in a Best Buy not too long ago for the first seven years because I was trying to find a microphone to do this podcast with and ended up having to order it on Amazon, (laughs) but Oh, I hated it in there. I've got nothing but bad experiences in Best Buy. That's a, that's for another episode down the line. Cause I don't think computer stores really exist in malls anywhere. I can't remember the last time I was in a mall, but I feel like it's all like either Apple store or
1: Microsoft store at this point. Yeah. That's all you really see in shopping malls. Uh, I don't think Radio Shack still exists. I'm I'm about 90 9.7% Nine point seven percent certain that they don't. These are the real questions of book five, whether or not Radio Shack is still kicking. Hold on. <laughs> no, it looks like it's still a thing. Oh. Yeah, there's one in Orlando and it will be open at ten AM tomorrow. Well, I won't be there. So I guess it's still a thing somewhere. The other thing that I did find, uh, which we talked about earlier a second when i mentioned how horrifying it would be to be stuck as an ant and not even remember that you were ever human a normal like black garden ant lives for 15 years oh i was thinking they would have a lifespan of like maybe a year or two 15 years they they, he would live as an ant longer than he would live as a human if he were to get stuck in an ant morph if he even survives being torn apart by all the other ants (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Spend his days riding around on Tobias's back, going on weird adventures, stuck in morph. True. <laughs> but so uh, so going back to the the mall, Axe morphs into his remixed human morph, and it's this weird, it's a complete throwaway line. Cause I feel like KA Applegate was like, I'm gonna mention it and then get rid of it real quick. Where he discusses that he's integrated clothing into his morph.
1: Oh, I don't remember seeing that. Where's that? It's
0: early on when they're first going to the mall and it was such a weird thing to me because we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about andalites in a bit but i i definitely um axe morphing blah, morphing morphing oh and don't forget the morphing outfit okay uh the co- concept of clothing kind of puzzled the andalite. we'd gotten him skin tight bike shorts and a t-shirt that he could use for morphing but he still didn't know why. It goes on a little bit. Um, he talks about morphing. Anytime you try to morph in anything that isn't skin tight, it gets ripped up. Shoes, forget it. And then Axe clothing. Yes, he said, I have integrated it into my human morph. That's it. Huh. So are Andalites just 5% cotton that he's able to... It was a very... And I, I get that as an author writing a kid series about war and horror and people getting ripped in half that you don't want naked teenagers
1: running around right i never caught that that's a really yeah i think i can't and this is again i think i mentioned at the end of the last episode it's hard to remember what is truth and what is fan fiction (laughs) but i think that part of the way that the morphing technology works We'll have to get into more detail later because we don't really, there's parts of this science within the the fiction of this world that we haven't learned about yet at this point in the series. But basically, I think of morphing as almost like having the morphs stored to the cloud and you kind of pull pull it out of the cloud when you need it. So maybe that is how Axe is able to add the clothing to the human morph. I don't know how that would work because then at the same time, when they when they morph something and get injured and then demorph and then morph back into it, the injury is gone. So I don't know how he's able to keep clothing, but not the morph. I think really it boils down to what you were saying, that Kay Applegate realized she couldn't have a naked 13-year-old running around. And so she just said, well, he can morph clothing permanently. Cool. And that was that.
0: Because it, it leads to an interesting question for me because... So thinking about it, when the kids are all in their regular human bodies and they're wearing skin tight clothing, they can morph that to and from. But apparently this is now saying that it works both ways, that if you morph into something that has something skin tight attached to them, it will also stay. So my question becomes when they're lobsters and they get rubber bands put on their claws, if they morph back into lobsters,
1: (laughs) is that rubber band coming back? I'm going to say if we really are trying to, like, get into the nitty gritty of how this works, (laughs) I'm going to assume that Axe is just way more proficient at morphing than they are. And with that, I would say that perhaps Cassie would be able to keep the rubber bands in a lobster morph. But I don't think at this point in the series that the others would be able to.
0: I mean, not that you would want to, because that would be horrible, but Mm -hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to take a moment to call out some realism. I did it. I did it last episode with the naming of the Dolphins. And having worked in a grocery store where we sold lobsters, I can guarantee you if a lobster showed up or ended up without a rubber band on its claw, no amount of money in the world would get any of us to try to reband that lobster. As far as I know, that's not something that's <laughs> like that's something that is done by the, the lobster men and women and not us. So if a lobster doesn't have a band on its claw, that's how it's going home with you. Sorry, folks. And then they get almost eaten. <laughs> And I mean, very convenient that all three of them were were thankfully purchased by the same person who's now traumatized for life because her lobsters turned into two semi-naked
1: human boys and a giant blue alien. That's, yeah, I, again, a situation where it's like they kind of took a gamble. I mean, I guess a, a year controller wouldn't have a lot of need to go buy lobsters and cook them, but like they didn't really know that they were going to get out of that. The whole lobster plan, really in general, was not their greatest. I mean, at this point, do they not have any other small creature morphs that they could have morphed into and just hidden under some shelves? You know, can Jake just turn into a flea? Do they ha- did they already have the ants at that point? Like, no, they didn't have the ants at that point because they didn't know they needed. They didn't have the ants no. yet. But like, Jake has the lizard. Oh,
0: I don't think Marco has anything particularly. T- Small. did he morph a rat at some point wasn't his first morph a rat
1: no i am
0: completely wrong
1: (laughs) i don't think marco has any small morphs at this point in the story so maybe the lobster was his best bet but they also i mean he could have just kept running as if he was a human running away like they don't know who he is and that's another thing it's weird that this is such a public thing in a shopping mall with like mall cops and everyone chasing them and nobody thinks to follow up on, like, the two kids that are helping the Andalite, you know, like, very specifically. Um, they just are kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> they got away. So I feel like Marco could have just been like, Jake, stay with Axe, hide. I'm going to try to go find help from the other Animorphs and just, like, run like all the other people were out of the store.
0: Dude, then he got Axe, the, the big, tough Call of Duty warrior that freaks out at a moment's notice and decides the best course of action is to reveal himself as an alien to all these people. Right. Which it never gets mentioned again. No one, I apparently there was zero controllers in the mall that day. No one had any concerns about the, the alien running through the mall. And though, now that I like completely jumping back, I I'm wondering if the only reason radio shack is still in business today is because they sell the appropriate Parts to build an alien communication device to send a distress signal.
1: It's a possibility. You know, there could be a very niche market for that.
0: Radio Shack is where it's at. It opens at uh, 10 a.m. tomorrow morning for anyone wondering, which is a a weird thing to put in a podcast that comes out in two weeks and can be listened to at any time. But Radio Shack in Orlando opens at 10 a.m. I don't know
1: if it's daily, but go there for all of your. Andalite homeworld message needs if you're having an ET phone home moment. Unless
0: it's a Z Space transponder, in which case you need to break into your vice principal's basement. I don't. I don't make the the rules, though. I also have to wonder because they, going back to the ants, um, I didn't promise this episode wasn't going to be ADD. They they bust out like they just like they're just like morph out, morph out. Like how messed up is the Chapman's yard because of this? <laughs>
1: Yeah, there would just be, like, giant ditches of (laughs) overturned dirt. I feel like that would be hard to miss. I feel like that would not be something that the Chapmans would be like, huh, look at all that dirt. No, that can't be. Maybe that's why Visser 3 was able to throw together
0: a plan that fast in, in ambushing them, because Chapman was like, gee, my yard is, like, really fucked up right now. Maybe I'll go down and check my my communicator because apparently there's multiple transponder beads in this thing and they only needed one so i that's i'm making that canon that's how that was figured out that's how the the (laughs) plane. now going back to everything so we're talking about the integrated clothing You, you kind of said it what your thoughts are but i do have to start to kind of wonder about where where the extra bits go when they're morphing because for the most part, we've seen them morph into actually even bigger animals or bigger things than what they are. But they've gone small a couple times. Jake is a flea and now as ant. And I mean, I'm not a, a physics person by any stretch of the imagination, but the the law of the conservation of mass says that, that wh- where are they going? I've been watching way too much Big Bang Theory is what it boils down to. I guess that's just another question to file away is like when I want to I, I guess I want to know more about how this technology works, because adult me has some questions about conservation of matter.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And again, it's it's hard for me to remember exactly what is fact and what is fan fiction here. But it basically, uh, I think Z space comes into it. And again, we don't really have... We don't, like, know at this point a lot about what Z-Space is or how it works, but that that is part of it that comes into play. Um, As far as, like, matter and conservation of energy and everything, I think that we just kind of pretend that somehow this alien technology gets around that. Because you're right. So, like, let's say... They are these ant morphs and they get bitten in half and they start to demorph back to human. The front half of the ant is going to turn into them because that's where the brain is. And the back half of it is going to stay an ant. Where did that ant come from? It just is now. So yeah, and this actually um, does come back later on. Uh, in a very polarizing and controversial book that a lot of people really hated and some people think is really funny um, that we'll see later on in the series. So when that comes up, I'll remember and I'll be like, ha, remember back in the fifth episode when we were talking about the law of conservation and energy and all that stuff? Here it is now. That is a a really fun one that we'll come back to later. But yeah, um, again, I think we have to kind of do a little bit of suspension of disbelief and just chalk it up to the other aliens they have more stuff than we do so it's it's alien stuff
0: i mean i i'm trying really hard it's hard to shut off adult brain and critical thinking when going back and reading a series that was that came out 20 years ago i if (laughs) there's ever an argument against becoming an english major and learning to analyze literature. This is it right here. You don't get to enjoy anything. Let's talk about my my favorite showdown of the book is uh this or 3 versus the world because it is very apparent that no one fucking likes him, including his <laughs> boss because I've I've said it before and I'll continue to say it because it just it's glaringly apparent that he was only promoted because he got himself a good body. Like, it's, it's a, a weird form of sexism in the workplace. That he got a, he got a good host. It, he's not good enough to be the top brass. Or apparently even the second to top brass. But Visser one hates him so much that they're willing to fuck everything up. Like, the major resistance of the Earth invasion is right there in the palm of their hands and viscer one is like i'd rather be petty and let you go than <laughs> continue to invade earth without interruption
1: yeah this was one of those moments where my suspension of disbelief had a little bit of a hard time with this like i have a hard time accepting that the leader of the Yerk of the yerk's is just gonna sit back and be like, mmm, our biggest enemies and the biggest threat to our existence. Now, y'all go ahead, just do your thing. See you later. Here, here's a free little trip back to Earth. Have fun. And this is just gonna be our little secret. Bye. Like, I I don't know. That one was a little bit of a hard stretch for me too.
0: So are are the Vissers in charge? Because I I I'm we get talk in the second book of the Council of Thirteen. Is that the Vissers? Or is there are like the Vissers, the War Generals, and the Council of Thirteen is, like, the administration?
1: It's, from my understanding, um, the Council of Thirteen is kind of, like, the head of everything, but they're not the ones that are actually, like, in the field doing things. And the visors still have a lot of authority and a lot of power. It's almost more of, like, a checks and balances system, but with the Council of Thirteen having a little bit more weight. So... Like, the visors wouldn't want to go against what the Council of Thirteen is saying, but the visors are also not just blindly taking orders. They are making the calls themselves, too.
0: And then I guess uh, another question that kind of, kind of came up for me, too, because I, I don't remember, because I don't know if I didn't get far enough into the books, but do we ever meet Viscer 2?
1: I think we do. Again, kind of hard to remember things, and also I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but uh, I'll just say that there are some visors Whose titles change throughout the series. So, whereas a visor might you might meet them with a certain number, later on they might have a different number due to promotions or demotions or whatever. Like what might happen, whatever happens. So, I can't remember if a visor two comes in as somebody we haven't met or somebody we have met. It's hard to remember. It's a little. Fuzzy. I'd be
0: curious as to what visor 2's host is. If visor one is a human and visor three is an Andalite, who who's who's in the middle there?
1: I want to say, I want to say they're mostly humans at this point because humans are the most valuable hosts that they have found. The um, the only other hosts they have are either like more fighting kind of creatures, or they're going to be something that's more like the GEDs that are just kind of there, just a, a body that's more functional than their slug body.
0: That's fair because I do have, I, I believe, around that time in the nineties, like six billion of us to to choose choose from. The the last thing that I have in my notes is Marco's description of Axe feels very contrary to every description and picture I have ever seen of an Andalite. Yes, and I don't know if Marco just
1: this is a huge controversy in the in the animorphs fandom. I don't know if you know about it. So there is um. There is one group of people who firmly believe that Andalites look very similar to how they're portrayed on the front covers of the books, being basically a a humanoid centaur. So like straight up, their torso is a human torso. They have humanoid arms, two extra fingers on each hand, and then instead of a horse centaur, they're more like a deer. And then their face, you know, and their eyes and everything. But but the way that Marco describes the Andalites in this book is really different. It almost sounds more like a a creature that has nothing human about it at all. And there's a few times in the series where people say, and this is one of the first ones where people are saying that maybe it's a deer. What is that? Is it a deer? And I feel like if I saw something that the back half looked like a deer, but the top half looked like a naked man, I wouldn't be saying, is that a deer? I'd be going, what the fuck is that? So for them to specifically being mistaking him for a deer means that he doesn't have any humanoid characteristics. And um, this is a whole rant. I, I don't know if you are ready for this. So the other group of people insist that Andalites do not have a human torso. Instead, they have just a kind of a thick neck, almost like a deer or an elk would have, um, that their faces are triangular with nice big almond shaped eyes. Um, and then the stock eyes, of course. And that they're, they're uh, what we think of as humanoid arms from the cover art are actually just kind of like little extra arms that are hanging out that are really weak. There's a lot of times where Andalite arms and fingers are described as being much weaker than humans. So if you if you delve into this, there's, a su- there's an anamorph subreddit that has a whole lot of posts about this. Um, It's a very controversial thing. If you go onto any kind of fan art websites and you look up Andalite fan art, you'll see a whole lot of different things. Um, Personally, I fall into the second group. I do not think that Andalites should look like they do on the cover art. Um, And there are a whole lot of times when we have the cover art not being accurate. Number one, Tobias having brown hair and looking more like Jake. Uh, Number two, marco is described through the whole series as having really long flowy hair that girls think is attractive um but this is this is one of i think either the only book or one of like two books where the cover shows him having long hair and then for the rest of the series he has literally like a normal boy haircut like nice and short on the sides so the cover art is not to be trusted so i really think that andalite's have nothing humanoid about them i think that they look like little kind of like blue forest creatures that have these extra little arms in front and just like a a thick neck but not like an upper torso like a human at all um and i really hope that if slash when the movie happens that they do not look like the cover art because i think that is why would they have a humanoid upper body none of the other aliens we ever encounter have a humanoid body structure so why would the and the Andalites, being the most advanced and evolved race, have like a weird humanoid torso out of nowhere? I could go on and on about this, so I will leave it there <laughs> because it could be its own episode. But yes, I am a firm believer that Andalites do not have any humanoid characteristics except for maybe their hands.
0: I mean, in in, in I all right. So I will quickly defend Marco's hair just because I know very soon. Considering how far up I have read, he mentions he got a haircut. And it's actually a sticking point for that particular book. So I will defend his hair that way. When it comes to the Andalites, I've got nothing because I apparently was just blindly trusting that the publishers and the book artists were telling me what I needed to know and giving me the visual that I needed. And now I'm I'm terrified to dive into that because I already stupidly dove into the Animorphs slash fan fiction world. I don't need any other nightmares in my life right now. <laughs> I, I'm trying really hard not to dive too deep into the Internet world because I there's stuff that was, quote unquote, ruined for me. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to get other, I'm trying to stay very like on track with the, the world, the canon as written by KA Applegate. Maybe in a, a year when we've wrapped all this up, we can start to dive into those scary territories. But at the same time, if any of you listening along have have your own personal views of what an Andalite looked like and you happen to know how to draw, Meg, I'm looking at you. S- send send post them on the Facebook page. I'm curious. And tag me so I can like
1: fight you when you're wrong.
0: <laughs> I, I though i'm looking at i'm looking at the cover of the predator right now and can i don't know if you can see it but can we discuss marco's mom jean situation
1: oh i am a fan of the mom jeans. like this is a quintessential 90s look right here <laughs> he is this is giving me very um the same energy as that picture of dwayne the rock johnson with the <laughs> fanny pack it's very that, and it's authentically that, because this was also taken in probably the same year, you know, like, if not a little bit later. But yeah, I would wear this outfit, shoes included. I would. My Now that you brought up, now that we're talking about the cover art, my one fun fact for this episode is that the, for this book... This was the only book that had a different cover art in other countries um, for like the international edition. So in the UK, Spanish, Brazilian, Portuguese, Dutch, and Polish editions actually show Marco turning into a lobster. And it is nightmare fuel. It is not a fun one. So you can find that uh, if you want to see that image, um, you can go on to the animorphs.fandom.com wiki. Um, if you just search animorphs the predator wiki it'll probably be the first result just scroll down a little bit um it's there and it's scary i don't like it he still has the haircut he's wearing a different shirt though uh but yeah for whatever reason this is the only book where the international edition features a completely different morph on the cover
0: oh interesting so that's that's the nightmare fuel that i will dive into for tonight that's that's where i'll take myself this evening instead of scary and light photos
1: The only other fun tidbits here uh, that I had written down um, is that this is the first time that we hear them use the phrase demorph rather than just saying morph out or morph back or just like morph. Uh, They're actually using the phrase demorph um, and that's going to come up a lot. Uh, And then also the dracon beams used to be described as making a noise that was like a zap, but now they're a two TSEW. So that's fun um (laughs) we're not zapping anymore we're chewing whatever that sounds like as an actual sound effect
0: maybe after they discovered that dracon beams can destroy an entire fucking tanker ship they're like maybe we need to tone them down so maybe zap was too powerful and two was a little bit more realistic for their (laughs) needs So that that wraps up another Animorphs edition of the Millennial Agenda podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you're enjoying it. If you are, please rate and review the podcast. Share it with your friends. Definitely now more and more we're seeing a need for something new to replace the the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, which was our whole reasoning for starting this reread. Mm -hmm. Uh, That and it's just really fun. So I, I really encourage you. Uh, Please share along, read along with us. Next week, we will be discussing book six, The Capture. If you do want to read along, check the show notes for a link to download the entire series for free on PDF. In an effort to continue to support K.A. Applegate, who has very much condoned the free editions, the graphic novel of The Invasion is coming out October 6th, if it hasn't already, depending on when you're listening to this. If you'd like to order that, please do support this. Support this great artist who has been a, a huge champion for communities all over the place um, help her out by ordering that and honestly i want to see these graphic novels keep coming i've seen the artwork from both the invasion and the visitor and it looks phenomenal so please 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 i'm actually i'm going to link the artist's instagram in the show notes as well because they're so cool to look at and maybe he knows how to draw an andalite we will find out but that link to purchase is in the show notes New episodes of The Millennial Agenda are available every Monday with new Animorphs editions each Friday. You can follow The Millennial Agenda on Facebook and Instagram for more fun content. And please be sure, again, to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time, happy reading.